All right. Well, welcome. Glad to have you all here tonight. And we're going to finish up Ecclesiastes chapter 4 tonight. So we're going to be looking at uh, verses 9 through 16. Ecclesiastes 9 through 16. So let's open a word of prayer and we'll get we'll get started. Father, we thank you for each one that's taken time to come out tonight. And Lord, we don't take for granted the place that we get to meet in here. It's it's warm. We got lights. It's uh, a pleasant place to meet, and we just thank you for your provision. Lord, we thank you for uh, those who set aside time tonight to come out and study your word together together as a body of Christ to pray that you would uh, just bless our time together as we look at the subject matter of friendship, how important that is, especially in the day and age we live in. Just open our hearts now to your word, and we pray that you would uh, bless our time together. We thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, last week, there's an outline around here from last week somewhere. I think it's on the table over there if you need one. But last week, we looked at the first uh, eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And just quickly, in way of review, we saw that he pointed out, we were talking about um, how life sometimes plays out to be filled with tragedies. And King Solomon in the first part of chapter 4, he basically uh, goes over that, and he, he went over three points. We saw in verses 1 to 3, he talked about the lack of uh, comfort that people have. And then in verses 4 to 6, we saw the lack of contentment that people are facing and how our society is market-driven, and they're creating an appetite for us to be uh, not not be content with what we have and to want more of everything. And then thirdly, we we began to look at the lack of companionship. And we saw how that uh, played out through sometimes problems that we face as a result of, of that, uh, those being loneliness, restlessness, and, and meaninglessness. And so tonight we complete the study of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, And so let me just read the text for us, and you can just follow along in your Bibles. Uh, Beginning in verse 9, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone... Two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Verse 13. Better was a a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who youth who was to stand in the king's place. Verse 16, there was no end of all the people, all whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and a striving after the wind. So tonight we look at the subject matter of two are better than one. The subject is really friendship. Uh, he kind of points this out to us. The one thing that we realize is people love to make comparisons. 
Did you ever notice that? They're always talking about something being better than that. Well, mine's better than yours or, you know, vice versa. Or, you know what, the original movie was better than the sequel. You hear that a lot. Sometimes people point something out you bought and say, well, they're more expensive, uh, but they're worth it because they're, they're better made. You know, they're, they're just a better quality. Uh, or guys a lot of times are comparing sporting teams. Who do you think's better? You know, this, this goes back and forth. We just like to do that as, as individuals. And the writers of the Old Testament were no different than that. They used a similar strategy, you might say, when they were teaching <coughs> principles in the Old Testament. And so in order to show the way of wisdom or the path of obedience, uh, they would compare one thing to another. They were constantly in this comparison model. When Samuel wanted to say that loving God is more important than simply going through religious motions, what did he say? He said to obey is what? Is better than sacrifice. All right, so it's a comparison. He points that out. He's, he's comparing those two things. Or when Solomon wanted to <coughs> praise the, 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 the harmony that's found in a loving home, he would say something like this in Proverbs fifteen seventeen. He says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. We read that verse, I think, last week as well. And so here you have Solomon who wrote, the book of Ecclesiastes, using this same strategy. He's trying to get his point across. He's, he's saying, given all the trouble in the world, given all the tragedy that he just talked about, we talked about last week, sometimes he was tempted to think that it might be better not to live at all. <laughs> and he, as much at the beginning there in the first several verses of chapter 4, and we went over that last week, he made... Uh, several comparisons that were based on what he saw happening around him and, and giving kind of practical wisdom for daily life in this this world that we live in. And he pointed out that the world is a transient world. It's an ever-changing world. This world, we sing the song, this world is not my home, right? I'm just passing through. And sometimes we lose track of that. We forget that. And so Solomon wants us to be reminded that, look, you're just here temporarily. You're like a vapor. You're, you're here and you're gone. I mean, we want to take life serious in, in the aspect we want to live it each day for the glory of God, right? But we don't want to take it so serious that we're home cuddled in a corner worrying about what's going to happen next. And so here, by the grace of God, it's better, he says, really to live with contentment in verses 4 and 6 and then he says in verses 7 to 12, he talks about kind of this companionship or this partnership with other people. And then in verses 13 to 16, he talks about having leadership and being, being teachable, having a teachable spirit. And so he talks about a king who grows old and doesn't have much of a teachable spirit. And so we see here at the end of this, this chapter, he focuses in on what we would call today uh, friendship. He focuses in on the tragedy of someone who doesn't have a friend. And you know what? There are a lot of lonely people in this world that don't have a friend. They don't have a friend. They go to work every day, and they don't have any friends. They come home, and they go to sleep, they go back to work. And it's really, really, really sad. 
and there's a there's an emptiness in that. There's a meaningless to life when you wake up one day and you look around and you realize you don't have any friends. It's a very difficult time. And the older we get, the more important it is for us to have friends. I mean, how tragic it is for the person who builds his whole life around himself only to wake up one day and realize, well, I don't, I don't have anybody. There's nobody here to help me. You know, now obviously, as Christians, we know that Jesus can cure that isolation. He can come in and be the, the friend who's above all friends. But it's also important to realize that if we understand his relationship to us, hopefully we also will understand our relationship to other people. You know, we're not called to be monks on a hill and build a wall and isolate ourselves from everybody. That's not what we're called to do. We're to be salt, to be light, to be here, to have a a place in this world, even though it's temporary, but to understand why God left us here. And that's really to befriend people for the sake of the gospel, to befriend people for the sake of the gospel, to reach out and to make sure that, you know what, there's a, a strategy for you when you enter those doors at work every day. What's on your heart? Is it, oh, well, gee, i got to work again. Uh, or is it, well, I wonder what opportunity God is going to afford to me today as I walk through these doors to somehow share the gospel with somebody in, in word or deed, somehow. Because there's a purpose for you working where you work, wherever it may be. You know, um, every morning when I get up at 3.45 and start the car at 4 and turn on the Uber app, my prayer, while I'm taking my shower to the time I get in the car, is, Lord, prepare my heart for whoever gets in this car that somehow I can communicate truth to them. And God doesn't always answer that prayer, but a lot of times he does. Sometimes we, we forget about that. It's just as easy for me to get in that car and pick up somebody and not even say two words to them. I mean, I could just say good morning, and they, good morning, and they put their headset on, and off we go. And that's easy for me. I, you know, I'm not real outgoing that way. But God opens up doors because there's a, tr- a strategy. There's, there's, a, there's a purpose. There's a plan. Just like when you go to work or you, you, you go to your grocery store or wherever. You know, you don't just accidentally run into people. Uh, God has a purpose and a plan. And so in this section of Ecclesiastes, we're going to examine kind of two thoughts here. Uh, First of all, that friendship is better than selfish pursuits. And then secondly, it's better than popularity. All right, it's better than selfish pursuits and it's better than popularity. Look at what he says here in in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. He starts right off, he says, two are better than what? One. Two are better than one. What's he speaking about? Well, he's speaking about having another person with you, a friend, a spouse, somebody, is better than flying solo. Uh, That's what Solomon, the wisest person, wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's a better way to live. It's a better way to work. And the Bible tells us, when he says here, two are better than one. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, it's, it's not a world where you can operate as a lone ranger forever and expect profit to happen in your life, to expect blessing to happen in your life. Sooner or later, that's going to catch up with you. And, you know, for some of us <coughs> that are 
perfectionistic in our personalities, it's very difficult sometimes to work alongside of somebody else because they're not doing it the same way you would do it. <laughs> you know, and before you know it, you're taking over what they're doing and, and it's like, oh, I'm, you know, and they feel, well, I'm not needed here. And, you know, we can fall into that trap very easily. But see, he's not just talking about the idea of life and work. He's, he's really telling us here it's better to share our life and work than to try to make it our own. In other words, we don't need to live in a selfish way. He's not just talking about marriage. You know, we, we, we use this verse a lot of times when people get married and, you know, this text. And, and, I mean, it applies to that. Don't get me wrong. It does. But I don't think he's just talking about marriage. Because, I mean, obviously every God-centered marriage is living proof of this principle that you know, two are better than one. That's, that's the way it works out. But he's talking about other relationships, too. So whether you're single or you're married, you know, you can still be kind of have the Lone Ranger mentality and you're not going to help yourself in the long run if you have that kind of mentality. And so he wants us to understand that. He, he wants us to understand that, you know what, we were never designed to go at it alone. We never were. Uh, but we're designed to live in community with other people. Uh, the buddy system, you know, when you go through scuba diving thing and all that, you know, or hiking sometimes, you'll have a buddy system. You have somebody that you're, you're responsible for and, and they're responsible for you. Or if you go rock climbing, same thing. Okay, it's not just for field trips and swims in the ocean. It's God's plan for our life and service to him. This idea of a buddy system. It's been that way ever since the beginning. Um, think of what Genesis 2.18 says. It's not good that he should, that man should be what? Alone. That's what he says. Flat out. And that's when everything was pretty much all good. (laughs) And he still said it's not good that man should be alone. Now, there are certain seasons in our lives. You know, I mean, we may be blessed with a a wonderful marriage and and then, you know, something happens and we find ourselves alone that ends in divorce or the spouse passes away or whatever. And, you know, you're, you're, you're forced into kind of a, a solo thing. But you know what? You've got to reflect on the, the blessings of your time that you had with that person. And, and God had a purpose and a plan for that. And so togetherness is better than loneliness. Connection is better than competition. It's always that way. And so he gives us three reasons here why partnership is better than, than personal isolation. He says, first of all, there two are better than one because they're, they're more productive. Uh, the first area deals with success. He says they have a good what reward for their toil. Uh, what's that mean? It means if, if at the end of the night here, I have to fold up all these tables and these chairs and put them in that closet, I would be a fool not to say, hey, can some of you guys give me a hand? Why? Because it's going to go a lot easier on my back, on my hands and everything, rather than me doing it by myself. We don't have to do that, so relax. But I'm just saying, if we did, right? And so it's just common sense. It would make that task go a lot, be a lot more successful and easier for everybody involved. Uh, When two people work together well, especially, they accomplish more than twice as much as either one could accomplish alone. 
That's just the way it, it works out. And so he wants us to understand that it's this area of success is something that is important. They, they have a good reward for their labor. I think it was D.L. Moody who said this, I would rather have ten men doing the work than one man doing the work of ten. <laughs> I would rather have ten men doing the work than one man doing the work of ten. And I'll tell you, as I was studying this, this is preaching to me because I'm very much, a, you know, just go do it, you know, don't worry about it. And, and, uh, and, and sometimes you got to stop and say, wait a minute, why am I doing this by myself? You know, there's other people that can help. And so we need to understand our need for friendship simply from the standpoint of you're going to be more successful in life if you go about it that way. How about team mentality? Well, secondly, he says here in verses 10 to 12, the second area deals with support. In other words, friendship is, is, is important for success, but it's also important for support. And it, it, it comes from, at it from a, a couple crucial aspects. He says here in verse 10, he says, For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and, and does not have another one to lift him up. When I was studying this, the only thing I could think of was, I don't know if you've seen this, I'm sure you've seen this commercial. I've fallen and I can't get up. You know, the poor little lady that's laying on the kitchen floor and she's got her little medical alert thing, right? Or she didn't have it, that was the problem. Um, And sometimes this happens in life. You know, sometimes, and not just literally, okay, but metaphorically, we we get knocked down by life's tragedies, by life's trials, by life's troubles we get knocked on our can and you know what it's always good to have someone there that can help you up you know sometimes someone pushes us sometimes we trip over our own two feet but either way at some point in your life you're going to end up on the ground that's just the way life is we try to do something we end up failing at it Uh, Maybe relationships get broken, financial difficulties make us feel desperate. And then what happens is against our own better judgment, we fall into some grievous sin. And if we're all alone when that happens, you know what? You might just go down and stay down because there's no one there to help you. But if we're not alone, um, a brother or a sister in Christ is there with the right words, with the right counsel, the words of encouragement, words maybe of rebuke, whatever it might be, to remind us of God's love for us, his mercy for us, his grace for us, to lend us a hand to help us rise again. You know, that's, that's the, the important thing that we need to be reminded of. We need that kind of support. It's important to enable one who falls to start over. So many times we feel when someone falls, whether spiritually, physically, you know, ah, they're out, they're out of the race, trample over them. But that's not the Christian thing. Proverbs uh, chapter 17, verses 9 and verse 17, it says, Whoever covers an offense seeks loves, seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And then in verse 17, it says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Or in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9, Oil and perfume make a heart glad. <clears throat> and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. You know, if you're going to have someone that's a friend, be the kind of friend that's willing, when they need it, to sit them down and talk to them straight. You know, if you're a friend that just flowers people with, 
flattery, you're not really much of a friend. That's not the kind of friend we're talking about. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of judgment. No, it says a what? A spirit of gentleness. And then he says this, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In other words, you're not above the fray. You could just as, just as easily fall into the same sin or the same situation. And so he says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. That's why we're church. That's why we come together as the body of Christ. We don't just come together to smile and pat each other on the, on the forehead and say, oh, great week, everything's going. No, we should come together and be transparent and honest. And if we're carrying a burden, we should be willing to share that burden with the rest of the body. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill, he says, the law of Christ. See, if the time comes in our lives when we fall or we fail, we need friends that are there not to kick us when we're down. That's not a friend, right? We need friends that are there to help us up, to pick us up, to get us started again, to get us back in the race. And we all sit here tonight and we think, well, that could never happen to me. I'm not going to fall into that kind of thing. But it could, <laughs> It could, and it does. And when it does, you're going you're gonna to definitely want a friend whom you can trust, who is willing to take your hand and help you up. The Bible says, be very careful about the idea of passing judgment on someone else, thinking that somehow you would never do that. Except by the grace of God, there go I. We're all, we all have it within us because we live in a sinful body with sinful desires to fall into the most heinous sin that you could ever even imagine. And, you know, Satan's not going to broadcast it's coming. He's an angel of light, so he's going to disguise it the best way he can. And you just have to watch yourself. That's what Paul tells the Galatians. Watch over yourself. So friendship means that you're always there no matter what. That's what a true friend is. The ladies just got back from a retreat. I, don't, I didn't listen to all the, the recordings yet, but I'm in the process of it, and their, their theme was friendship. Their theme was friendship. And the one who has not fallen remembers that he could just as easily be in another person's place, even though maybe you, you haven't had a hard time of life or maybe you haven't had a tragedy hit your family or whatever. It's probably coming if it hasn't happened yet. But even if it hasn't happened, you know, you understand that you could just as easily be in, the, in that other person's uh, situation. Now, we know the greatest friend of all is who? Is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He's been called the friend of sinners. That's what they call them. Um, I mean, who knows us better than anyone? And you know what? He loves us as his children no matter what. He died for our sins. His grace is always sufficient for us. Um, Hebrews 5.1 says, For every high priest chosen from among men, in Hebrews 5.1, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And that's what Christ is. He's our high priest. So it's not just important to enable one who fails to start over, but it's also important, and I think you would agree with this, to encourage one who faces pressures in this life, to encourage someone. You know, so many times we're constantly giving out uh, rebuke and things like that. You know, we just kind of fall into that. Sometimes it's good just to encourage somebody. Even somebody who's 
down and maybe struggling, you know, offer them an encouraging word. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And then he says in verse 9 there, oil and perfume make the heart glad. The sweetness of a frame comes from earnest counsel. We read that. And then I think this was the theme for the women's conference or retreat this past weekend, 27, Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron and one man or woman sharpens another. Okay, the idea that you're not out there doing it on your on your own. And what he says here in in verse 10 is if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to the one who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And then in verse 11, again, if two lie together, you know, we think, oh, well, this must be speaking about marriage. Not necessarily. Okay, in this part of the world, uh, the Eastern practice was that, you know, if you were on a, a caravan out in the middle of the wilderness, the group would lie down and they would snuggle together. They would lie down together. Why? Because it was cold and they needed to stay warm. Very practical. There was nothing sexual in it. It was just the idea that, you know what? <clears throat> when you're alone <clears throat> out there on a cold desert night, <clears throat> you know, you can, you can be a lot warmer if you're snuggling up to someone else, another warm body. And that's really what the picture of what us as Christians should be doing for each other. I don't mean physically snuggling with each other. Don't get that idea. But two are better than one because they can keep each other warm, you know, you can, you can literally feel the, 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 the pressure, the cold winds blow from this society we live in every day. And every day we go through some kind of situation, traumatic or not traumatic, whatever it might be, some kind of experience that, that pushes against us being in this world. And it's nice to know that you have brothers and sisters in Christ that you, know, you can huddle together for prayer and, and, and keep each other spiritually warm, not just physically warm. And so he says, if two lie down, they keep one, keep warm, verse 11. But how can one keep warm alone? In other words, they can't. They can't. You, you will not stay warm. And so he's not just talking about the marriage bed here. He's talking about something that's a lot uh, wider um, than that. It's, as I said, them traveling on a caravan and, and keeping warm at night and huddling together that's really what what that means someone wrote this the snow is snowing and the wind is blowing but i can weather the storm what do i care how much it may storm i've got my love to keep me warm now you know that applies to obviously a marital relationship but you know what it's not just good travel advice for someone you know, you go out hiking, what do you do? You take somebody with you. You know, very seldom would you go out and venture out alone on a hike, it's especially a longer hike, by yourself. That's just not very wise practice. Um, there's a spiritual warmth that comes from going through life together with other believers. Uh, it's easy to grow cold in our Christian lives. It's easy to grow um, just very, you know, put off everybody and do the Christian life by yourself. Well, I got God, who else do I need? There's a lot of people, Sunday morning, where do you find them? You find them in front of their TV set watching some preacher, and that's their church. 
Well, that's not the church. I mean, I'm not saying that's bad. I mean, obviously, they're, hopefully they're getting good teaching if they're picking the right teacher. But that's not church. Or, or another way churches are doing it today, they have one main church and then they'll have several campuses. And so what they do is they, they record the main campus and the pastor and then they get that out electronically to all the little other congregations and so there's one church that has an actual pastor there teaching. The other ones are looking at a flat screen. Okay, that's not church. That's, that's not going to help you in the long run. Now, yeah, you're going to be receiving the teaching, but you can't shepherd a, a flock of sheep remotely. You just can't. Um, you have to be there. You have to understand what's going on. You have to understand the dangers and the blessings and everything that's attributed to a congregation a lot of times it it basically is like they're going to a drive-in theater on a sunday morning for church and so when you're growing cold in your faith you have to really have another believer to to kind of get you going and that's what first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11 says therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing he was very encouraging to them in Thessalonica, First Thessalonians 5.11, he tells them, keep on doing this, encourage one another, build each other up. Or in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews says in verses 24 and 25, and we're familiar with this, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another. What's that mean? It, it, it has the idea of kind of like you're poking each other. You know, you're not just getting together and everybody's in their little slot and it's real comfy or whatever. No, it has the idea that you're, you're stirring the pot. You know, you're asking men and, and women, you know, how was your week? What was your challenges? What was going on? You know, not just, you know, you, the, the little smile on a Sunday morning. Oh, everything's fine. Praise the Lord. You know, that doesn't do it for somebody that wants to stir things up. You know, a good way to stir things up is just ask somebody, what have you read? in the Bible this week that really touched your heart? Start asking people questions like that. Or what's the last prayer request that you actually had, got answered? I mean, just put them on the spot. You know, that will stir things up. That's what we're called to do. But, you know, that's kind of like, ugh, you know, that's against Church 101. You don't do that. You're going to make feel, people feel uncomfortable. That's what it means to stir things up, though. How to stir up one another. Why? Not just for the sake of stirring the pot, but it says to love and good works, to loving good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. And by the way, if you don't meet together as a church body, it can become a very easy, uh, habitual thing not to meet. It's a lot easier to stay home and listen to a sermon. It's a lot easier, to, even if it's a good sermon. Um, you know, it's a lot easier you know, to deal with the parking, you know, to deal with the people, you don't know, deal with anything. You know, and you can turn off the message and turn on the game whenever you want. Sit there in your pajamas. You don't have to get dressed up. You don't have to do anything. It's very easy to fall into that trap. And so he says, don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. What does that mean? That means when you don't see John or Jane or Billy or Bob here on a Sunday morning, what do you do? You touch base with them. Hey, notice you weren't there Sunday. What's going on? You okay? Maybe nothing wrong. Maybe they're out of town. Maybe they're traveling. Shoot them an email, whatever. But that's the idea. You're encouraging one another to fellowship. 
And then he says there at the end of verse 25 in Hebrews 10, even all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, there's going to come a day when all this church stuff is not going to, we're not going to need it anymore. We're going to be in glory, right? There's, there's, there's a day coming. And, and so we need to make sure that we're encouraging one another now. We're not waiting. So it's kind of practical. It's heartfelt ministry that, that believers should have in each other's lives. That's what, what that's, that's really saying there. Well, there's also the third area here in verse 12, the idea of strength. He says in verse 12, he says, And though a man might prevail against uh, one who is alone, in other words, you get in a fight with one guy and you're by yourself, you may or may not lose. If they have the advantage, you may lose. He says, two will withstand him. In other words, if you have some backup, if you have a buddy helping you, what kind of strength is he talking about here? It's a strength to avoid possible defeat in whatever venture you're you're doing it may be a physical confrontation as he's addressing here but it could also refer to a a verbal confrontation you're having with somebody Um, a friend may just be there to support you uh, to get you through the the episode that 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 brings you close to defeat and so whether it's that kind of a confrontation or verbal confrontation it says there a man might prevail against one another who is alone two will withstand him there's safety in numbers. Would you agree with that? It's very practical. Wednesday night, they have home group. They used to have it at my daughter's house on the island. It's a very safe island. It's a Navy housing. You know, you can only get on there with Navy ID. But, you know, in the summertime, it's even light out. But usually, during the adult time, the kids would go out and go for a walk or go for a bike ride. And the parents were always, hey, you guys need to stick together because there's safety in numbers. You know, so they'll have, you know, anywhere from five to ten kids walking around the island while the, while the adults are doing their thing. Two people are more than twice as hard to defeat as one. And sometimes it takes all that to protect us. You know, um, it's good to know that somebody has your back. It's good to know that you have a comrade in arms there ready to help you. Because the world that we live in, beloved, is full of all kinds of stuff that want to take us down. Um, you think of First John chapter 2. Verse 16, it tells us, what is it? It's full of temptations, the desire of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and what? The pride of life. All those things are just waiting. First Peter 5.8 tells us that Satan himself is prowling about like a lion ready to devour us. He's not just idly sitting up and wherever, you know, just kind of twiddling his thumbs. No, he's actively pursuing how to take us down. And when it comes to facing these kind of spiritual dangers, that's why the Bible says two are better than one. Now, I always believed this. You know, when I was single, you can ask my wife, before I was married to her, I thought, you know, I was going to be the Apostle Paul. I thought, I'm never getting married. I just, I don't need marriage. I'm, you know, I'm just all about youth ministry, and this is all I'm going to do the rest of my life, and, you know, who cares? And then I met her. And then I realized, well, I can't live my life without her. And I realize that even more and more the longer our marriage goes on and we spend time together. I mean, even this last weekend when she was away, I found myself thinking, okay, hopefully they get back okay, everything's going well. I'm just not usually that way. I'm just kind of like, but it it really kind of bugged me that she wasn't with me. Or the other example was when we traveled to India 
And I almost came unglued when she couldn't get on the plane with me because she didn't have a visa. <laughs> and uh, so she had to go back home. And luckily, she was able to join me, you know, two, three days later. But I just remember feeling so sick and lost on that plane. It just was not like me. I'm a very independent individual. I'm not given to my emotions. But I was a wreck. I mean, I sat the whole, what was it, 12, 14 hours to, to Dubai, you know, sitting next to this, this lady who took my wife's seat, sitting there with a, like almost a grudge against this lady. And I mean, she paid for a ticket and everything, but I'm like, you're in my wife's seat. My wife should be sitting in there, even though it was our fault that she wasn't on the plane because we didn't do the right visa thing. And, and I remember finally talking to this lady in the, the final hour, right before we we're going to touch down. I thought, okay, I need to confess this to the Lord. You know, this isn't right. Started talking to her, and she actually, she's a, she was a table tennis coach. And she was spending time in Fremont to teach a family's two children the skill of playing ping pong. And she's telling me this story, and I'm like, wait, so you come all the way from India? to Fremont, California, to teach this family. Well, they're, they're pretty advanced. I mean, they're in, like, you know, they do competition and everything. I'm like, wow. So they pay you? Oh, yeah. She goes, they pay me quite a bit, actually. I'm like, well, that's interesting. And I said, well, what kind of credentials do you have for this? Because she's an older lady. Like, like, she was, you know, Seth and Katie. She's, like, her age, you know. And I'm thinking, and she goes, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at that sport sport i'm thinking ping pong a sport come on lady and she goes well i was the world champion in my day i'm like you're kidding me yeah she goes i was the world champion of ping pong table tennis they call it and i thought wow that's amazing you know and and i I just you know it was just it was just weird to see all that kind of kind of play out and but i felt that emptiness when my wife wasn't with me. So you have to understand that God gives us that strength to avoid, pers- or to, to avoid defeat, but also to accept potential difficulties, uh, things we call stress in our lives. Um, we need something that will withstand and not break under stress. And that's what a friendship provides sometimes, that can provide that kind of encouragement Two are definitely better than one. So that's the idea that friendship is better than selfish pursuit. And then in verses 13 to 16, he talks about friendship is better than mere popularity. And don't mix those two up. You know, there's a lot of people in our world that will have a lot of people around them. And they have a lot of popularity, you might say. Um. But if you really talk to them, they'll say, you know what? I'm short on real friends. I don't have a lot of friends. That's what they'll tell you. Even though they're constantly surrounded with people. Why? Because if they're successful or if they're popular or if they're a recording artist or an actor or an actress or whatever, what are they? they have a guard up. You want to be my friend? Why do you want to be my friend? What do you want from me? Because everybody's always wanting to take from people like that. Just because... Someone has a lot of people around them doesn't mean they have a lot of friends. Um, Solomon, of all people, he was qualified uniquely to talk about this. I mean, he was a very popular individual. He was very wealthy, king, the whole thing. I mean, he had everybody around him all the time. 
And the truth is recognized in the common experience of political leaders. You see all these politicians you know, running for office and all that stuff, and you think, wow, they must have a lot of friends. No, they probably don't. They have a lot of people that are probably trying to use them to carry out their means. And Solomon kind of recognized that from his own experience. He kind of describes that as this attitude of this old foolish king in verses 13 to 14, where he says here, he says, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Once again, he's drawing these massive comparisons to point out something. In Job chapter 12, verse 20, it says, He deprives of speech those who are trusted and takes away the discernment of the elders. Proverbs 25, 15 says, With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Or 27, we already read that, verses 5 and 6, Better is open rebuke than, a, than hidden love, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So he, he points that out in that, the attitude of this old foolish king. But then in verses 15 to 16, he talks about it being demonstrated in the acceptance of the people. 15 to 16, he says, I saw all the living who move about under the sun. He's looking all over, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. He says, there was no end of all the people, of all whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice with him. Surely this also is vanity and striving after the wind. What's he saying here? He's saying what Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Solomon clearly teaches here that there is danger in numbers. Now, there's strength in numbers. We just said that. But there's also danger in numbers. Because friendship with someone is, is much more than just mere pop popularity. We all know that we've probably grown up with the kid on the campus. He's friends with everybody. He's the famous athlete or whatever. But you know what? Friendship is so much more than mere popularity. Remember that when you think of Passion Week and the crowd following Christ through the the streets of Jerusalem and they're shouting, what, Hosanna, Hosanna. By the end of the week, they're, they're shouting, crucify him. The same crowd. Just because someone's surrounded by a crowd of people doesn't mean that they're all friends. Uh, we should be careful not to collect people who are not real friends. Instead, develop genuine, sincere friendships. And, and the way you do that is you've got to invest in that. It takes time to do that. And he, he points out here his concluding evaluation. Once again, he says, vanity and grasping for the wind. In other words, popularity apart from friendship is just that. It's vanity. It doesn't matter. Vain. It's futile. It's not going to help you at all. Only in our friendship with Jesus Christ and through him, with others, will we have lasting and meaningful relationships that can build us up and speak truth into our lives and and help us in times of trouble. So that's Chapter 4, all right, he, he talks about companionship, and he talks about friendship, 
And he wants us to know more than anything that really God understands all this completely. And he offers to us through Christ a friend that is above all friends. And we pray that you know him personally tonight as your Lord and Savior as well. Well, let me close this in a word of prayer. Have some time to fellowship. Father, we just thank you for your word tonight. Thank you that Solomon was able to share the wisdom of friendship with us tonight, that two are better than one. And that doesn't mean everybody has to be married. That's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about we should surround ourselves with friends who truly are just that, friends. And uh, it's best to have friends in Christ as a Christian so that you can have friends that will influence you, that will edify you, that will build you up, that will encourage you in your walk with Christ. As a matter of fact, we're, we're called to be careful about having friends outside of Christ. Not that we shouldn't befriend people for Christ, but to have relationships that influence us in a negative way. Either those relationships will draw us closer to Christ or push us away. And so we pray for the believers here tonight that they would evaluate their their friendships. And Lord, we pray that you would um, help us to have a, a positive impact on this world for Christ. Lord, that we would be the light and the salt that you've called us to be. And Lord, even as we leave here tonight, that on our hearts would be a prayer for those that we may run into on our way home or even tomorrow at work, how we could best communicate to them the truth of your word and live out the gospel of Christ before them in an effective way. So, Lord, we just uh, thank you for each one here tonight. And uh, we just pray your blessing upon us as we depart in Jesus' name. Amen.